Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined in person for once by Bruce Feldman. Set the scene a little bit here, Bruce. We are recording our annual post semifinal episode where you always sound yeah done uh, dead in the water. <laughs> I mean, not that I'm not. Let the record show: Stu didn't file very fast tonight. So we have been. Uh, it's New Year's Eve. It's still not midnight here, but I think midnight, it's been midnight for a couple of people. So um, we have ducked clear of the DJ booth and kind of found a quiet space. Two great games tonight. Um, you also, know. Yeah, and also a little context. We both have our families here in Arizona. Um, they are they celebrated New Year's Eve together, the, 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 the wives and the kids, while we are working. Um, they went to the game, which was cool. Uh, I don't think I re- realized how late a night it would be, even on Mountain Time. But here we are. I definitely did not. So, well, look, you know, final thoughts. It's gotta. We gotta get it. I gotta get it out to the masses. It can't can't be uh, waiting around. That's um, the detriment of your your co-host. So <laughs> let's. So anyway, let's talk about this. So um, I don't know if I would call TCU beating Michigan a stunner. I don't even know. I feel like I should know the answer to this by now, but like. Is it the biggest upset in the CFP history point spread-wise? We probably should have looked that up before we came on here. Yeah. I, I, I haven't really been hung up on the point spread so much as when do we ever have— uh, I mean, Frank, people have been complaining for years. It's the same teams, right? It's always some combination of Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State. TCU, definitely not a usual suspect. 5-7 uh, and seven last year fired the coach who has a statue outside the stadium. I mean, it was pretty remarkable for them to even be here. Uh, to didn't win. even win. Didn't Did not actually win the Big 12, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we were two of the many. I believe there were like 21 different athletic writers who picked these games, and 20 of them picked Michigan. Credit to Scott Docterman for going out on a limb on TCU. 
So based on that, you would think they were like a 17-point favorite, not whatever it ended up being. A touchdown favorite. What I was impressed with is, you know, you look at the score, 51-45, and people think shootout. Normally in a shootout, the lead trades back and forth many times. TCU led this game from start to finish. Well, what was I think what really sparked it was you had two pick sixes, and it felt like Michigan was digging out of a hole. Now, at one point, they got within a field goal. Then you felt like they were going to overtake TCU. I thought, and this is kind of what I wrote about earlier, um, you know, to me, it was TCU out Michigan, Michigan. They ran for 260-plus yards on the Big Ten's best run defense. They did it largely without Kendra Miller, who's their star running back, and Mare DiMarcato, who's been a really reliable backup for years, um, 150 yards tonight. And again, what was so kind of stunning to see about that was Michigan hadn't given up more than like 150 yards to any team this year. They hadn't given up over 200 yards to anybody in the last two years. Not even when they lost to Georgia, that didn't happen. So for TCU to do that, it wasn't like they completely shut down Michigan's run game, but it was interesting in that Michigan, you know, one thing that was interesting, and I thought about this, and you start thinking parallels um, that go in your head, where this game started out, could not have gotten off to a worse start for TCU. You know, you have a Donovan Edwards 54-yard run right up the middle. Now, he gets run down, and he does not score. But I, I don't know why I thought about this. We were, we, I was sitting with um, Richard Johnson from SI and Max, our colleague, and I think both of them had said they'd never been in the stadium before. And I said the first time I was here was for Ohio State, Florida. And as you probably remember, the first play of that game – Ted Ginn, long touchdown run. You're like, ooh, it's going to be a long night for, for Florida. Obviously, Florida won that game. There are times it feels like, and I can think of this, like I can think of a specific Miami-Wisconsin bowl game. Miami hits a long, it might have been like a Lamar Miller, like 80-yard kickoff return or something. You're like, oh, these guys are going to get blown out. And then mm-hmm. what ends up happening is like almost the opposite. Like, they, it's almost like they weather the first punch, and then I don't know if... I don't think this is it, but like if the team that's the favorite kind of like, ooh, this is going to be easy. It's like, you know, whatever. And then they end up, they don't score in the red zone. They had three trips inside the five. They only got three points out of it. And they had the pick sixes. You know, in some ways it was almost surprising the game was as close as it was. It was. The fact that Michigan had the ball with a chance to win at the end doesn't really match up with my um, – perception of the game and and it just you know like you said tcu being able to run the ball as well as they did tcu had 13 tackles for loss it it wasn't um it 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 wasn't even though tcu is considered more of like a newcomer on the scene they were the more composed team than michigan they were the more physical team than michigan I watched a lot of Michigan this year. You've been to some, like, you just didn't see J.J. McCarthy make mistakes like that. Um, now, he did have to, I do think there was more on J.J. McCarthy late in the year than they certainly put on him when they had Blake Corum. Right. You know, they they had to put some stuff on him against Ohio State. I don't know how much against Purdue that was the case. But today, because they were digging out of a hole, 
I think they did have to put more on him. And, you know, they had a lot of, like, at one point, you know, they had the big 54-yard run. But then after that, I think it was like they had a stretch where they had, like, 18 carries for, like, 30 yards or something. And so the run game was not – to me, that was the biggest surprise. I don't think I was entirely shocked that TCU could run the ball. Now, I was – if you told me they were going to run for 250 yards, I would have thought it was going to be – 150 for Kendra Miller and 100 for Max Duggan. It wasn't. It was the backup who who played really well. But the part that surprised me was that TCU's run defense, like Michigan at times I thought got really too cute, you know, in the red zone. And I'm sure, you know, that's whatever. It's, it's hindsight is 2020. They could have come back and said, okay, well, you know, because even one of the touchdowns they hit was on a flea flicker. And you could say at that point it was like, just your Michigan, just maul them. And I don't think that was as much easier said than done. And afterwards, you know, you heard about even Sonny Dykes, who I think, um, you know, at the podium is about as good as we get in college football in terms of handling questions, being thoughtful, has perspective. Um, And he was like, yeah, you know, I heard it that everybody said they were going to run through us. And it was like, you know, he took that, I think, as a slight to his players and, they they stepped up, you know, and I, I thought that was a, you know, one thing I hope doesn't happen, I know we've talked about this a little bit on online and I, offline, was you have a team like TCU and you say they're a newcomer, and it's a little bit like, a little, like when you have... What was the team that Jim Allaire and Agus team was? It George Mason? Who did he Yeah, have? it's not that. No, but what I was going to say is people love the Cinderella, the first two weeks of the tournament. And then when they get into the final four, it's not. And so so you're saying it's not that. But what I'm saying is, are, and this shouldn't, who gives a sh- crap, like whether the TV ratings are going to be, that's not our problem. Or whatever. Right. But like, you know, TCU's in this. Like, yes, if it was Michigan, a bigger brand who's not in the title game before, maybe that that's going to draw that huge fan base. But I'm like, I'm I'm very curious to see how TCU like good for them, like good for this program that they're going to be on this stage. You know, I think there's a lot. I mean, selfishly, I mean, I, you know, I I smile a little bit knowing that there's an air raid coach who's going to be in the title game. You know, it's less than a month after Leach passed. And I think that is. That is a that is a cool detail, and I know it's not lost on Sony. So um, I'm just kind of still kind of like like it's still a little bit surreal that TCU is going to the title game. And it may be short. I mean, it is shortchanging TCU a little to make it seem like they've never come close to this before. They no, beat, I mean, yeah, yeah, they beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl to finish an undefeated season. They were the, think the first were one three. cut in 2014. I think they were number three here when, when Boise State beat them. Yeah, yeah. So the, the first two were when they were in the Mountain West still. So they were kind of like the, you know, the, the Cinderella-type team you're talking about. The 2014 team with Trevon Boykin was really good, and obviously a lot of people thought they should have been in the playoff. But I think what's making this seem so out of nowhere is that they had fallen off. I mean, the last – Five or six years of Gary Patterson. I think they had one 11 win season, and the rest were either right around, were basically right around 500. So you'd kind of just forgotten about them. They were picked seventh out of 10 teams in the Big 12 this season. There's just, there hasn't been anybody like this that, that if you had said to me before the season, TCU is going to play in the national championship game, I'd be like, 
that's that's not possible. Like that would have seemed absolutely not possible. Here we are. I mean, it's possible. I think it's just a, it was a big long shot. And I yeah. like I mean, the truth is, for people who've watched them, like TCU's got a lot of speed. Like there was a bunch of big plays because you have like they're one of the fastest teams in college football. Like I don't care what the recruiting rankings say. I think where that's an issue is, you know, how deep are they? But you know, they're a physical team and they're a really fast team. And I think what what keeps coming up, just having seen them a couple times, where you like see them play bad quarters or bad halves, and um, they were resilient and they're loose and they're able to respond to it. They obviously can't afford a bad quarter if they're going to play Georgia, but. Because I don't feel like they had, you know, even when that crazy 24-23rd quarter, um, you know, in it, they had a pick six. And they're just like, they come, seem to come up with a big play almost always. So, Well, and the, and the defining one was, it was Michigan was down 21-3. They cut it to 21-16. You're thinking, here comes Michigan. And very first play, Max Duggan to Quentin Johnson for 50-plus yards. And they go down and score. Now, that was the beginning of an insane run where there were eight touchdowns in the span of a little over eight minutes. But still, to me, that stands out as if they were going to just prove to be a fluke, they would have shriveled up at that point. And instead, like you said, they come down, they hit a big play. Um, yeah, I think a Georgia-TCU matchup is more interesting to me personally than if it had been Ohio State TCU or if it even had been Georgia Michigan, but I'm guessing a week from now we'll read about lowest it'll be the lowest rated in the national championship game since blah blah blah. The thing is, do you think that's because the point spread is whatever it is 13.5? No, I just think the the thing that when it comes to those huge events, like you and me, we're gonna watch whoever's in it, right? I would imagine most people listening to this are gonna watch whoever's regardless of who's in the game. The thing that turns it into like I don't know, from, from 18 million viewers to 23 or whatever it is, is getting like people who don't really follow college football. The thing is... To, and they tune in because it's big names. This, if I'm not mistaken, maybe this, I mean, this may be stupid if you, as you answer it, but like, isn't this the first Texas playoff team? It's the first Big 12 team, yeah. So... No, and Texas A&M sure as heck has Yeah, made. so it's the first, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I, now I have no idea if... You know, if you're a Texas fan, you get behind TCU for this. You know, if you're, mm, I'm guessing if you're tough. a Baylor fan, you probably don't. But like, I can't imagine Texas fans will be rooting I, for TCU. I, I'm just saying, it's like, it's a very, it's a football state. I think there's, you know, I think there's tons of, you know, that is the most football state there is, um, you know, in terms of high school football and everything else. Why would they not get behind? You know, Sonny Dykes is really well thought mm-hmm. of, um, especially in his family is. So, I don't know. Like, I mean, that's a, that's probably not our discussion to have about like what the ratings are. No, and I tell you, who will be rooting for them is all the other Big Twelve schools that are coming back. You know, all the other Big Twelve schools, not Texas and Oklahoma, and of course the four teams coming in. This is the greatest thing that could have happened to them. You know, you think back to last summer and the 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 sense of disaster for them when Texas and Oklahoma left, and then the next two seasons after that, like those schools weren't really factor um last year's already alerted me baylor baylor oklahoma state in the big 12 championship last year tcu kansas state this year tcu in the national championship game you couldn't ask for a better credibility and sunny dykes used that word about his own program 
uh, builder for the new Big 12. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, so we hustled back here. Our, the hotel is like 30, 40 minutes from the stadium. So we watched the beginning of the Georgia Ohio State game at the stadium. I would say we watched the second quarter mostly on our phone in the car. Got back here by, I think, late second quarter, halftime. Can't remember. And watched the rest in your room. Um, the second half of that game was abs- like just really, really high-level football. C.J. Stroud, who I have knocked on this podcast a few times this year, who I thought was kind of underwhelming this season, had the game of his career. And, of course, the Ohio State fans will be forever wondering how much better it could have been if Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't get hurt. Well, it's not just him. It was like, if you go down the list, I mean, going into this, there's no Travion Henderson. There's no Jackson's, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, Kate Stover, the tight end, is a really good weapon for them. Also out. So you're down, not maybe you're not your four biggest weapons, but like three of probably the you know the four. I mean, they still have a deeper group of receivers, but that 
you know, that was something. And then for it to come down to, like, I think we thought if they left too much time on the, on yeah. the clock for them to, to get down there, he, for the thing that I think was really kind of, I don't know, it was maybe cool to see, but like, he made more plays with his legs tonight than I know. Like when they had that bad weather game at Northwestern, like he actually made some plays there when they weren't doing anything with the ball. But like in this game, like he had that long scramble where he basically runs into field goal range, mm-hmm. you know. And like I can only imagine what their kicker is feeling because like that kick looked like it, you know, it wasn't like close, and. You're sitting there thinking, like, man, they're gonna, they're gonna play. You know, they lost badly to Michigan. People are, I don't think they're writing off Ryan Day. But Ryan Day was feeling a lot of heat. They did everything possible. You know, they they like really, really took it to Georgia. And I'm just trying to see, like, you know, for it to come down to a kick. But that's that's the deal, right? You know. It was seconds away from being an absolute worst nightmare scenario for Michigan fans. You beat Ohio State. It's supposed to be your moment in the sun. And Ohio State could have you know, gone and beaten TC for the national championship. Um, yeah, C.J. Stroud had to do everything tonight. There's, he ran the ball 12 times. I know it says 12 for 34 yards. That's because of the sacks. Um, he's 23 of 34 for 348 and four touchdowns. But... The reason I brought up Marvin Harrison is I feel like once he was out, Georgia brought the house. Georgia was not able, was not covering him very well. Um, those couple series during which Georgia came back, I mean, they were bringing the house and getting to C.J. Stroud and limiting them to, to a couple punts, a couple field goal tries. Um, you know, I know there were a lot of people at the time of the Heisman finalists were announced that were incredulous that Stetson Bennett got invited. Um, he didn't have a great first half, but he ended up throwing for almost 400 yards and leading two touchdown drives to get them uh, back ahead at the end because they were down they were down 38-24 uh, going into the fourth quarter. So he, he throws a 76-yard touchdown, then he leads a 72-yard touchdown. Five plays, 72 yards. Like we said, you scored too soon. At that moment, I'm thinking you scored too soon. Yeah, I feel awful for Noah Ruggles. He's a good field goal kicker. He had kicked uh, several in this game. You could say that they screwed up a little bit in that after the Stroud run, they, I don't think they got any no, they further downfield at that they point. Had a run play that lost a yard, and I think they tried a pass play that was incomplete maybe. And like then... they didn't do him any favors setting him up for a 50-yard field goal. I think so – the 59-yard the field goal in the Michigan game. Now, by the way, I mean, that could have been from 39, the way he kicked that. that oh, was he not, just completely shanked it. Well, he didn't shank it, but he just kind of, like, toe-hooked it. I, I, I don't know. I, I, had got, I know everybody makes fun of college kickers, but I had gotten to the point. Like, I absolutely expected him to hit that. I did, too. You know, we were sitting there. We were thinking about this. Like, obviously, you watch Moody hit one from, like, could have been from 65 today. Probably longer. At the, right at the half. And that happened right in front of us. The yeah. press box was on that side. But then you watch Pitt's kicker hit one, and that was a windy, like, blustery place. And he's hitting clutch kicks. You're just so, I guess you've just become so accustomed to kickers 
like in the NFL is different, but like you watch Greg Joseph hit a 61-yard well, yeah. game. That's a whole other right story. Now. You know, so, but like Ohio State, I felt like I said this to you and Ari right before you went out there. I was like, man, Ohio State always has good, really good kickers. I feel like they've oh, had Oh, that's good right. Kick. You did say that. You jinxed him. No. <laughs> yeah, but, but I feel like Ohio State has had good kickers. You know, like probably, I mean, like go back to like Nugent, but even probably before that, where I can't remember the last time they haven't had like a really good kicker. Same with Georgia, by the way. They, yeah. They've had an amazing run of kickers. But that's how it came down to. And look, um, I don't know. I mean, it's a big number, 13 and a half or whatever it is now. Like, and I would give TCU a shot. It's strange to say this. But, like, I think, you know, we talked about Ari in the car. It was like, and I didn't, I don't disagree with him. What did you see from Ohio State this year that would convince you that they could beat that team? Um, they, hadn't shown, they had shown little. I don't want to say they showed nothing, but they had shown little. And, you know, they're banged up in the running backs. Like, I don't, we'll see what, you know, what Kendry Miller's status is. But, like, I wouldn't. I'm done doubting TCU. I've been yeah, doing it all season. I wouldn't doubt them. I, I, they're a really good team. Are, are the odds stacked against them? Probably, but they have been all year long. The thing about these bowl games, these semifinals, is they're like a new season. So, like you said, there was nothing about Ohio State's season, especially their most recent game against Michigan, to suggest they could come out and, and put up 41 points on, on Georgia. But a month, no, more than a month had passed since their last game. Teams... That's a lot of time in there for teams to tinker and you know, Ryan Day to, to figure some things out for what's, players, young players to get better. Yeah. What's, what's interesting, and look, we didn't see every play of the Georgia-Ohio State game. But like, Georgia ran the ball well. They averaged over five yards a carry. They had some big plays against Ohio State's defense. I just think it came back to C.J. Stroud played fantastic in this game. He did. He did not play fantastic against Michigan. Um, their defense did not did not hold up in the second half either. They gave up a bunch of big plays to Michigan, whereas in this they gave up some big. They plays. allowed 14 plays of 15 yards or more, including four plays of at least 35. Thank you, Ross Dillinger, for that one. Yeah, the four of 35 because obviously they gave up a bunch of those against you know the last time out. So I don't know. I mean. Like, I'm thinking about this for the Ohio State prism for a second. I'm like, if you're Ohio State and you felt miserable, and I don't know what percentage of people were like, this program's going in the wrong direction. You know, I don't, I don't, I think you have to like look and go, hey, when we're on, we can definitely play with anybody. And I think they, I think they showed that. Um, well, that's a good – so, by the way, we, we're on Twitter here, and Matt Brown, our colleague, our editor, TCU went 5-7 and seven last year. The last team to have a losing record the year before winning a national title was 1965 coaches poll champ Michigan State, which had gone 4-5 and five the year before. So when we were saying, like, improbable, like, to that extent. Yeah, if you're somebody – if you're an Ohio State fan who was down on Ryan Day because they just lost to – got their butts kicked by Michigan for a second straight year – even though he's won 90% of his games. You know, I definitely thought coming into it, boy, if he gets blown out by Georgia, it's going to be a rough offseason for him. They did not get blown out by Georgia. They, I mean, other than Alabama in last year's SEC title game, nobody has done that to Georgia's defense in two years. But they did lose. I, I'm kind of like, you know, 
I, I don't, I'm not big for moral victories, but like, I don't, I wouldn't hold it against them. I would, I wouldn't say like, oh, how dare you lose by a point to Georgia? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I would, I would agree. I mean, look, there, now we've seen teams do this to Georgia. We didn't see them do it last year, other than Alabama. But obviously, Baker Mayfield and OU certainly did. That. Well, you're going back away. No, I know. I'm just saying, like, I think, you know, last year's Georgia defense was super, was super loaded. But like, I do think at times we pedestal some programs, pedestal some teams, not necessarily programs, and. I don't think the gaps between some of these guys is as is as is as big where if like this one team is on and CJ Stroud was clearly on, you know, I think that that changes the gap. Just like when you have maybe a good player who's not healthy, you know, we're like, oh, how are they gonna how are they gonna you know, get a first down and then somebody else shows up. Like, I've heard, it's funny, I feel like I've heard DeMarcado's name for like 10 years just because we've done a lot of TCU games for my crews. And it's like, um, you know, it's not like he's some nobody. Like, he's been a really productive back. But to see him have a huge game on that stage, um, you know, you, I, think you, I think it's a good reminder of just how much talent there is around the country. You know, and and like there were guys that I think people saw today step up at TCU were like, I don't think they know a ton about some of these names. They knew Quentin Johnston because he had you know sure. he's a super freaky athlete and he's had some big games. And maybe they know Darius Davis. And they certainly know Duggan. But I think some of these other guys on defense who made huge plays today, um, you know, look, I, I I don't know. It's it's weird. I don't want to go out and say I think TCU is going to win, but. Sounds like you're about to. No, I mean, I'm definitely not writing them off just because, like, this is a really, really, like, um, I think some of it, uh, some of you had told us this in one of our meetings, like, a while back, that the, the you know, if you, don't, you sign up to play for Gary Patterson, you're not expected to get babied. You know, like, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. And that's the team he took over. Those are the kind of people. And I think that's, a, that's an interesting, like, I've, I've become so much more in tune with, like, the dynamic of who follows who. And this is a good mix for them. So, Gary Patterson was also big on speed. You know, he wasn't necessarily going to sign a bunch of four and five stars, but he was going to recruit speed and develop. And I don't exactly know what went wrong those last few years, why his program stagnated, but he clearly left behind um, a bunch of dudes who can run. And, um, you know, I think to your point about Georgia's defense, even the best defense, even the most dominant defense can be exposed by an elite quarterback. And, you know, that's what happened last year with Bryce Young against Georgia. And tonight it was CJ Stroud. And those are two guys who we think will probably be high first round picks this year. Is Max Duggan going to be able to like? He didn't have a great passing game tonight. No, but you know, we had a he had a, a pass that was like dropped that turned into a pick. Yep. Like I think the one thing he does have is he does have good receivers. He has good skill guys. And I think you know? he's going to have to play at a very high level because I don't. I shouldn't say this right after they ran against Michigan the way they did, but I don't think you're going to beat Georgia by running it down their throat like they did to Michigan today. I think you're going to have to hit some big passing plays. Well, look, I mean, they have, like, 
they have somebody who's a freakier athlete than anybody probably, you know, Georgia faced this year for four quarters. They won't play a faster player than Darius Davis. Um, you know, Tay Barber's really good. He was a guy Clemson wanted. Like, you know, I I just don't think people should sell the you know this team short. So, um, let's pivot a minute. Uh, do we want to talk about? Well, I actually want to talk. You know, I wanted to bring up Clemson actually, because okay. uh, you know, people get on Ryan Day. I, if I'm a fan base, that's. You know, Dabo won two national championships. He won 11 games this year. So, like, I wouldn't want to, you know, I'd want him to be my coach. But I want him to take a look in the mirror and be like, something has definitely gone wrong here. Because um, you're the one who pointed out on Twitter, this is a team, this is a program that beat Nick Saban in Alabama in the national championship game twice and and beat many other high, highly ranked um, SEC teams over the years. But... The last two years, I mean, yeah. going back to the Joe you, Burrow. Well, you go back yeah. to that LSU game where, like, that was a talented Clemson team. Now, they went up against a team that was more talented. But, and I, th- I thought from that point on, like, what's happened is quarterback play, which is not shocking. They went from the first pick in the draft to two guys who were five-star guys who, who one guy's too young to really, at this point to really, you know, we'll see what Cade Klubnick ends up becoming. DJ Uyunglele struggled up and down. The receiving core is not the same that what Deshaun Watson threw to or or uh, to certainly what Trevor Lawrence threw to. You know, like, the O-line was always okay, but it wasn't great, ever great. And I think that's the thing to me that's hurt them is the quarterback play, you know, receivers has been a big drop. Yeah, and it's a, it kind of goes hand in hand. But it's not just, it's not just talent. Like, the team... You also got to remember, Stu. You like this part. I think is not a not an insignificant thing. He's lost three coordinators in like the last three years, and two he lost. Last, and who last does year. he replace them with? <laughs> Guys who probably wouldn't get that job and that title if it was some any other program but Clemson. Um, and look, it's worked out for him before. Like he hired Brent Venables at the time. I don't know how many people wanted to hire Brent Venables coming out of. Well, Oklahoma. he made two tremendous hires: Chad Morris. Uh, at the time, I know he his reputation is saying, and Brent Venables, but those were going. And who's the best guy I can get from across the country? And now he's built up this kind of like fortress where you have to be part of the Clemson family. They don't bring in transfers. They don't go out and hire coaches from other. What I saw against Tennessee, and an important note, a Tennessee team with its backup quarterback, its best receiver opted out. Like this was not the Tennessee team yeah. that won ten games during the season. But they looked almost even better, and I thought Clemson looked dysfunctional. I mean, just there were some really strange situations in that game. Where and they, I think they had 30 first downs and scored what one touchdown, um, two touchdowns. It would be they. I don't even remember. It feels like a month ago. It was, it was yesterday, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, I thought that was not a not a. I thought that was that should end up being a kind of a, I would hope. A bit of a wake-up call moment for him. Um, real quick, other bowls was really cool to see Bryce Young go out the way he did. They were Kansas State was hanging around close to halftime, and then he just turned a switch and I believe threw f- threw touchdowns on four straight series. Um, what else? 
I would ask, um, so I didn't pay attention to this and I kind of missed it. And then all of a sudden it like started clogging up my timeline, which was the pregame uh, incident with Sark mm. and the run out. And the, the guy who was part of, connected to the ESPN crew, and, and just from knowing, working on game broadcasts, like something producers are, are really, um, I don't say anal about, but just the run out is key, what they're trying to get. And a lot of sometimes teams go out early or whatever. In this case, this guy was probably had somebody in his ear adamant. And then to see the clip, uh, you know, it's not hard to lip read Sark. I mean, holy cow, he just blowtorched this guy. If you were, and they lost the game, so they're, they could finish eight and five, which is certainly an improvement from the year before. Um, do you think, if you're a Texas fan, would you read more into that of beyond just, hey, we're an eight and five team when your coach has that kind of reaction before he takes his team onto the field? I thought it was bizarre, but I don't know that it's, I'm not going to necessarily correlate that with their performance on the field. What I would say is, I, if I'm a Texas fan, I, you two years in, I would have expected more. And, you know, the team they were playing, Washington, was terrible last year. Yeah. And a year later, you know, new coach, new system, new quarterback, and they win 11 games. I think the days where... Like, when we were at the Alabama-Texas game early in the year, and they almost beat Alabama, and it was kind of a moral victory, I was like, you know what, this year's kind of a free pass year for him because Arch Manning's coming in next year. Like, it almost kind of doesn't matter. But now after, now we actually got to the end of it, I'm like, there's not, he hasn't given a lot of reason for confidence to think, Arch Manning or not, that they're going to rise up. I also think it's yeah. like, it's, I mean, fair or unfair, I think it's putting a lot on Arch Manning. Yeah. We're talking about him like, you know, I had more confidence in Caleb Williams going to USC than I would in Arch Manning, just because Caleb, you know, it's like transfers, at least you've seen them play. You know, it's like there's a way, you know, there's a way bigger jump to go from a smaller high school to the Big 12 slash soon to be the SEC than there is to go from the Big 12 to the Pac-12. Well, first of all, they weren't supposed to need him next year because Quinn Ewers would be playing his, you know, second straight Heisman season before going to the NFL. I think that, that's, yeah, I know. think that has, I don't have any confidence in him at this point. So now I kind of think they need Arch Manning to come in and, and maybe not right from the first game, but at least compete with him. Um, no, Arch was more, his, his, his committing to Texas was more symbolic at the time. It was, wow, of all the coaches that he could choose to play for, he chose Sark. What does that say? That's, that's a great sign for them. Didn't see much of it. I think it's too bad for him that he doesn't have B. John Robinson coming back next year because, like, he, he not only is he such a great player, he's such a great leader. And now it's just like your turn. It's basically like it's all on the young guys uh, to turn that thing around. Um, and then, you know, they'll probably go to the SEC the next year. Uh, a, lot, a lot riding on that. Um, I thought UCLA really blew it against Pitt. Um, it was sad to see DTR suffer that injury at the end. He's had... A, such a roller coaster career that was quite a low uh, to go out on. Um, looking ahead to Monday, um, Rose Bowl, we got Penn State, Utah, we've got uh, USC Tulane. I, it snuck up on me. I wasn't necessarily expecting to be all that interested in it. 
Vegas only has USC as a two-point favorite against Tulane. They know something. We'll see. We will see. You told um, me I'm reading too much into that. I think you're reading too much into that. Um, all right. Well, um, I don't even know what we our next do, episode is. We will is. do a podcast before the national title game. And I'm looking forward to being in L.A. this next weekend and seeing my first game at SoFi, which I've heard such great things about. Um, should be fun. Send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Thank you.